Hey everybody, it's Nick. I'm just waiting for Ryan to get in here and we can start the show. But I think that tonight we are uh, going to be myself for a while because Ryan is at a teacher conference for his kids. So it's just going to be me for a while. Okay, that was weird. So I thought I heard like a phone ringing, but I don't know where my phone is. So that's a good thing. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. What's up? What's up? Just Did tried you... to call you. <laughs> that's what I thought. I don't know where my phone is. I heard the vibrations. I couldn't find it. No worries. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find it soon. Hopefully. All right. So how are, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Sorry about the little bit of chaos there, but uh, I think we got a great show tonight. Yeah, it'll be fun. So, all right, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the It's Too Wordy comic book podcast, where a couple of buddies talk about comics from their childhood uh, and today. I'm Ryan. And I'm Nick. And today we have Werewolf by Night, number one by Marvel, and we're trying something a little bit different uh, tonight. We're kind of looking at each of the people that have taken on the Robin costume, and we're starting off with Dick Grayson tonight, and then next week we'll do Jason Todd, and the following week we'll do Tim, I think Tim was next. There's just been so many Robins. It may have been Stephanie Brown. I don't know. But um, no, I it approach was, that. It wasn't Stephanie. It was Tim? Yep. Okay. There's my lack of Batman knowledge coming in right there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we want to start with Werewolf by Night? Yeah, might as well. All right. Um, so I'm sure you've read this in past uh, versions. What what did you think of it? See, I was expecting it to be um, the original Werewolf by Night. Like the original mm -hmm. guy. Like Jack... Oh, come on. He's named after a dog. Jack Russell. <laughs> and this kid's name is Jake, right? It's Jake. Right. So I was like... Oh, Okay, so there, it's a new guy. So maybe it's his son that tra like tra gave him or passed down the werewolf gene. And it doesn't seem like that. This seems more like a skinwalker in Native American folklore. Yeah, that's kind of what I took from it. Um, I'm wondering... If because of Skinwalker Ranch and was it Utah or whatever had some kind of an influence to make the character along those lines opposed to yeah it's it's uh, a huge thing in like the paranormal like world right now right that 
the, the skinwalker, skinwalker, skinwalker. Everything's a skinwalker. And it's like, okay, great. Now can we move on to something else? Absolutely. It's just one of those hot paranormal things right now is the skinwalker. And that's why I'm thinking that it, maybe that's where it's coming from. Um, no, I don't recall ever reading any werewolf by night, but I'm not saying I didn't. I've read a lot of books in my lifetime. Um, you know, for a good or for a starting issue, I thought it was a good start. Um, I'm still trying to kind of figure out where they're going with uh, the what is it the like the CIA guys or the special forces guys what they're doing with them, right? But you know. I mean, not, it's not giving anything away, but I mean, there's a part where these hillbilly rednecks are out in the middle of the desert shooting at stuff. Girl comes up, gives them a warning. Hey, you know, you probably don't want to be out here. You're on the native, you know, our reservation. They're like, oh, who cares? And this werewolf shows up and just beats the crap out of them. Doesn't kill them, just beats the crap out of them. And, right. you know, and they, this has done what a lot of number ones haven't done recently for me. It gives you a story, it gives you a little bit of insight, gives you the action right away, gives you a little bit of insight. Hey, this is how we keep him calm. He actually, you know, they go into that a little bit. Um, if, you find out the relationship between the werewolf and the girl and who all knows what's going on. This was a solid build. It didn't feel slow to me at all. Um, I, I think this book's heading in the right direction. Like I said, there's a couple of pieces where I'm like, uh, you know, um, I liked where he can use his heightened senses to detect things. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Without uh, turning, yeah. Yeah. You know, it... I think... I <laughs> I almost hate to say it. I loved every page of this book until the last page. And I'm like, really? That, la that last page killed me. That Oh, my God. I was like, okay, this is going to be great. And then it's like rejected Ghost Rider villains at the end. Like, not even like D-class Ghost Rider villains. These are like crap they made up for like a cartoon <laughs> yeah. right. for like a cartoon like oh geez there's a cyborg werewolf an alien cyborg and a hot girl with quills and cybernetic parts and bird feet i don't know you know truthfully and i'm going to give the next issue a shot oh yes yeah, totally. what they do with it because uh taboo is the guy that wrote it Jack and Jack and Doff is mm -hmm. the artist. Um, I wasn't disappointed in either aspect of it. Like I said, the last page was just kind of like a really, but um, I'm right. curious to see what they do with it because maybe they're going to do something awesome. And what's that. cool is there's there's a lot of like Native American stuff in here. Um, they were they were saying in the back that they were trying to be very respectful and get the lore right. And it seems like they're doing a really good job. And even one of the guys that's in 
that special unit, he's an old Marvel character called Red Wolf. Right. And he was a uh, he was in the Avengers a lot. He um he used to run around with no shirt on with like leather chaps and a wolf head on his head. Mm-hmm. And they're they're tying it into like the old Native American characters that are in Marvel. So that's pretty cool. No, I'm familiar with Red Wolf. My first experience with Red Wolf, you're going to laugh, is from Lego Avengers. Nice. He's a secret character. Okay. <laughs> and then I, um, Nathan Edmondson wrote a short series of Red Wolf comics not that long ago. And I really was enjoying everything Nathan Edmondson was doing. I think that was, um, what, 2015? It has to be right around there. 14, 15, somewhere in there. Um, I'm going to put a picture up on the Discord and tell me if that's the one that you're talking about. All right. The looks a lot, very totem artwork on the cover. Yep, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It looks pretty pretty badass. Yeah. Nathan Edmondson is a fantastic, I know we're kind of getting off the path there, but Nathan Edmondson did a lot of research. He, I think he had some kind of a military background as well. Um, and so he did a lot of military books and stuff like that, that were just fantastic. And then he kind of got into the superhero realm. And I started reading some of that stuff. And I thought he did a really good job with it. So that's how I'm familiar with Red Wolf. So I was like, oh, okay. But I'm trying to figure out how it all kind of glues together. I assumed he was going to show up just because of the Native American aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But how are they fitting it all in? Right. Um, and truthfully, that's what I was expecting to see on the last page was the lady in Red Wolf standing there, not rejects from later issues of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, <laughs> okay, so the weird thing is, right, so this is written by Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas, right? I didn't realize the, that. <laughs> the, the guy on the cover looks almost like him. Like, it's well, really close. Now that you, since you said that's who that was, I'm like, hey, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. So, yeah, a lot of, it seems like a lot of, like, music guys are getting into comics right now. Yeah. Because I think Jared Way got it going. Yeah, Jared Way did it. Um, the guy from Co- uh, Coheed and Cambria did some. He did, like, uh, Oh, I just saw some yesterday. Kill Audio. That's what he did. He did yeah. a book called Kill Audio. And yeah, it's like maybe we're going to see a lot more music people coming into comics. I mean, we saw with wrestlers. Uh, CM Punk did one with. Uh, oh, why? I'm blanking on his name now. The Drax. He wrote a Drax comic book. Um, Christopher Daniels, he wrote, uh, I want to, I can't remember what book he did, but he did a book too. So it's kind of nice to see some outside sources coming in with some different ideas. Um, right. Especially on characters that aren't, haven't been really well developed recently. 
and I guess Danzig had comics and oh yeah um, yeah Gene Simmons had comics Alice Cooper yep yeah um, so maybe it goes back know, farther than what I'm thinking about <laughs> yeah well but it died out for a long time you know and yeah. then it popped back up um, I will say that I think the art was good the storytelling was great um, the only thing I did not care for especially on that first big splash page. What is this page? Like three or four um, is the werewolf's got that ponytail going down his back mm-hmm. in the, at first look at that until you look over at the next page. I, was, I thought that was like his spine sticking out. <laughs> yeah. You can like, see that. I can see it. I don't like that at all. But then when you look over the next page, you see it's a ponytail flying around. I'm like, okay, that looks a little bit better. I think they could have done that just a little bit better. But truthfully, that that and just what we're getting into in, in the next book with the creatures we're talking about were the only two things I was like, oh, eh. the rest of it was great. Yeah, I I was actually I was going going in thinking I was going to hate this, and I was quite surprised how much I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, I really like it. But you know, when I asked you yesterday if you the store still had some issues left, yeah, and you said you got a lot of them, yeah, I got the I got the last one. Are you? I kidding? got the last. Yeah, I I got there a little bit before open, and I stood outside and I waited, and yeah. <laughs> I was the first like. First person in the store, and they have one left. So, wow, that's impressive because they they had quite a number of them. I couldn't tell you. I I thought they had about. Let's see, I picked it up on Wednesday, so I would say they probably had about fifty issues, and that's kind of a high order number on a book that doesn't have a Batman or uh, a Wolverine on it. You know, right. Um, so that that's pretty impressive. It's probably just the uh, nostalgia of the seventies. Some of the seventies well fans be. were like, "Whoa, okay." Yeah, that very well could be. All right. Well, that brings us to our first Robin, Dick Grayson. Yep. Uh, would you like to go first, Nick? Uh, yeah. So I always believed that Batman and all the world was created by Bob Kane. And, you know, I think a lot of people do, but uh, it came out that Bob Kane was using ghostwriters and ghost artists to do a lot of his work. And his main one was a guy named Bill Finger. And Bill Finger created Robin, Catwoman, um, the character of Bruce Wayne, the Wayne Manor, Gotham City, ev- almost every single character that uh, Bob Kane took credit for, Bill Finger created. It's, it's that whole, like, who created Spider-Man? Jack Kirby right. or Stan Lee? Well, Stan Lee had the idea. Jack Kirby drew it. So who, who created it? But I'm going to go that Bill Finger created Robin. Real quick question before you go on to your book. Do you know the character that is Bill Finger's 
namesake in the DC universe? No. Black Hand. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah, because he helped out with the Green Lantern book, or some of the Green Lantern books as well, and they appreciated what he had done so much with for the DC universe. They created Black Hand for yeah. Bill Finger. Cool. Yeah, that, it's it's funny now that you can see you watch like something for Batman and it'll say like created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, nothing. You know, now he's mm-hmm. finally getting his due, but what's that gonna do him now? You know? Right. That's um, the sad thing. That's how it's working for a lot of these guys. Right. He he lived in pretty much you know, he created a whole bunch of stuff. He was actually in the old Batman TV show. He That was the first time you ever saw Bill Finger's name on anything for Batman was in the 60s TV show where he wrote an episode for it. Um, let's, let's get back to Robin, all right? So Robin created in April 1940 for Detectives Comics number 38. We all seen the origin of him, like going with uh, his mom and his dad on the trapeze with the Flying Graysons. Um, then a guy named Tony Zuko kills his parents, um, trying to extort money from that circus. And of course, Bruce Wayne's in the crowd and he, uh, he takes Dick under his wing and he becomes his legal ward and later on becomes his adopted son. He, the character of Robin is named after Robin Hood, which is kind of funny because he doesn't look anything like him. Maybe, maybe the uh, <laughs> maybe the jacket and the tights, but you know, and I guess the mask, but he's just not green. So, <laughs> let's see. Uh, he uh, was one of the guys that established the Teen Titans back in the '60s. And he he got kind of got fed up, you know, being Robin. So he, I can't I can't remember what issue of the Teen Titans that he stopped being Robin and became Nightwing. Mm. I can't figure that out. Uh, uh, Tales of the Teen Titans number forty four. Yeah. Yeah, he retires Robin and assumes the superhero persona of Nightwing. And that was done by Marv Wolfen and George Perez. And I have to say, Nightwing is so badass looking that he's easily one of the greatest characters in DC. Even though he was Marvel, like, not Marvel, but he, he was Robin, you know, the kid in tights with the greatest legs in comic books. <laughs> he, he is a badass now, and he, you know, occasionally he'll take over for Batman when Batman's gone or missing or in time or, you know, whatever Batman does, breaks his back, you know. And it's always Dick that they go to. Other than that one time that they went to Jean-Paul, which is still one of my favorite storylines, but the best replacement Batman for me is Dick. Oh, absolutely. That that uh, series of books of Batman and Robin with him training 
Um, who's that kid? Who's the new one? Um, Damien. Damien. Yeah, Damien Wayne. Is one of my favorite series of comics from all time. It is so good. But what they do to Tim is horrible. But that's another story. All right. So that is how I see Robin. I don't know about you, but you got anything? Honestly, you know, that I agree with you. I can't agree with you more. Um, I think Dick has always been the natural fit to take over that Batman mantle. Um, I was really disappointed when they took it away from him. <laughs> um, right. You know, I, I kind of wanted to see Bruce Wayne move into that mentor role on the sidelines, like you saw with Batman Beyond, you know, where he was kind of guiding um, Terry mm -hmm. uh, a lot. And it really disappointed me when he got pulled out of that. As far as Dick being the Robin, I thought he was the one that always seemed to have the most fun doing it. Um, and we'll talk about the other points that, because each Robin was, had a different trait to him. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like he was the one that kind of always felt like he, he enjoyed the role of doing it the most, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, he used that acrobatic role to, um, take part in, in that, and you know, you saw him become that leader going over to the Teen Titans um, and helping run that. And so, I, I guess that's what I have to say about it. It's just, I think. Um, and it's weird because I, I loved him in Teen Titans. I mean, he was, he was, the, the, the way that they evolved him in that, in that series, like with when George Perez and Marv Wolfman were doing it, and they just took that book to to humongous heights. Yeah. And that was rivaling the X-Men at the time, and the book was just so good. Well-written, art was fantastic, character interaction was great. You know, it wasn't like... I'll say this. Um, how long it took Chris Claremont to get storylines going, and how... Uh, how everything had to intertwine and stuff. It was still going on in the Teen Titans. I mean, those storylines lasted forever. Um, but the, the good thing was that they weren't... Okay, so this is Claremont's way of writing books. You take females and write them like males, and you take males and write them like females. And that is how he did the X-Men. But that's not how they did Teen Titans. And that's what really was was really good about it because everybody had their own personalities. They weren't trying to be somebody that they weren't like the X-Men was, you know, Scott wasn't a whiny little bastard and storm wasn't the strong headed leader. Like it was just a reverse of, of character, how they write them. And that's all that X-Men was for me. Right. But the teen Titans weren't like that, but it was so good. Like it was just amazing. Yeah, I absolutely love the Teen Titans because of the introduction of that's, you know, that's where you meet Cyborg. That's where you meet mm -hmm. Deathstroke for the first time. 
I don't think it gets enough credit for introducing such powerful characters. And Terra and Jericho. And yeah. Just that whole Terra storyline. I don't think that one gets enough credit. No. I mean, yeah, everybody knows what it is now, but um, the Judas Contract, I, if you haven't read it, I would recommend going out and picking that up. You mean, it's free at the library. Just go get one. Well, when we first do, started doing the show, I think I mentioned I hadn't read that. And you loaned it to me, and I was blown away with how amazing that book was. Um, yeah. And, like, how have I never read that before? Uh, I, I really just... That whole Teen Titans team, the characters that they put in it, it just clicked. It seemed like it worked better for me than the Justice League did. Um, yeah, I can see that because the, there are some incarnations of the Justice League that are just so hard to get into. Oh, yeah. like It's so hard to read, and it's just like... I know they were DC's greatest superhero team, but for a long time, it was crap. And there's always just, it seems like there's always somebody on there that every team's got their little weak spot or whatever, you know, or everything has to revolve around the big three, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. With the Teen Titan books, yeah, everybody had their little moments to shine, but it never felt like it was a focus on any given character for a prolonged period of time like the Justice right. League has been. Yep. Very good. Cool. All right. Uh, still don't know what's going on at the shop. I haven't been in for a bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they do have a sale going on. 20% off for their 27th anniversary. So Krypton's been around for 27 years. 20% off. Uh, dude, that so... makes me feel old, dude. So old. Because <laughs> I, I used to shop at their Pacific store. You know, I did too. God. <laughs> I did too. Um, yeah. They've been around for a long time. So, and that's the crazy part that they're not even the oldest shop in Omaha. It's nope. Dragon Slayer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the good part about Omaha, though. We're we're really dedicated to our comic shops. Mm-hmm. We we like when the pandemic was going. I was dropping like a hundred bucks a week going over there just to uh-huh. help them out. Yeah, and I think a lot of us did. So yeah, that was doing the same thing. I mean, yeah. got to help them stay open wherever I would, you know. And I wasn't even staying particularly at Krypton. I would go there and get primarily my stuff. But I would hit other shops just to try to help support keep them open. Yep. Um, you know, I thought it was important. So, all right. Well, that brings us to the random reads. Um, I'll go ahead and go first because you talk a lot, which I appreciate on that last piece there. So, cool. Um. I will do oldest to newest, I suppose. So I, the first one I have, I've got three of them. Like, did got Aquaman um, Rebirth. So that was, what, 2016-ish? Uh, Aquaman uh, Annual Number 1. And I actually saw this on one of the pages I follow on Facebook. 
And it was a picture of old man Hal or Hal Jordan. And I'm like, wait, what? Everybody's going to this old man, old woman thing. I, okay, I'll take a look at it. And it happened to be in this Aquaman. Uh, the first thing I will tell you is um, this is done by Johnson and Fumara. I am not a fan of Fumara's work. Um, I actually kind of like the sketch way he does the sketching, but the the faces are very thin. You know, they just don't look like they're belt characters at all. So the art was a little bit disappointing. But um, what this is about is Aquaman and Mira are going to another location and Aquaman talking to Mira about opening up a uh, new underwater city that would allow uh, earthlings and the Atlantans to mingle together. And how, you know, he wants a place for his kids to grow up and that catches Mira off guard. She's like, oh, you want to have kids? He's like, yeah. She's like, oh, I'd love to have a son. Then we get to chapter one and it, Superman, Hal, and Wonder Woman flying in to this new world, Crown Spire. And this is now in the future. Because Aquaman's older, Mira's older, Clark looks like um, Kingdom Club, Kingdom Come Clark. Hal's actually missing his left arm and is using his ring to project a, an arm. He's got a gray beard, and Aquaman has a son named Tom. And it's coming up to Tom's thirteenth birthday, and they're going to go celebrate. That's why uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Hal are there. While they're there, a prison riot starts. Everybody's fighting everybody. Um, and Aquaman discovers there is a hidden prison cell at the bottom of Crown Spear that he was un unaware of. And one of his lieutenants that had been missing for years now uh, shows up and is kind of fighting him. And he's saying... You know, kill everybody. You've got to especially kill the Aquaman's son. This has to be done. And so Aquaman and him are starting to fight, and he goes, um, i trying to think what this guy's name is. Uh, the lieutenant basically says, hey, Aquaman, you need to realize all this is fake. Wake up. And Aquaman is like, grabbing Tom and Mira and they're just trying to escape. And they get a little bit further. Batman shows up and is telling Aquaman, Hey, none of this is real. Wake up. The Tom, the kid gets upset and just does this massive primal scream and it just destroys the bat sub, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and just obliterates it. And then Aquaman comes up, starts fighting Batman, and Batman's like, I don't care if you beat me or not, you just need to wake up. So at that point, Aquaman ends up uh, swimming back to Crown Sphere, 
And he goes to the very bottom of the seafloor where this prison cell was and with his trident just smashes the ground. And he finds, he sees the body of Mira and Aquaman along with his, some of his guardsmen wrapped up in this red vine. And this red vine, it basically is help projecting what the future looks like while it's draining them. And it was all a dream. But it seemed really real to him. So at the end of it, after he gets rid of this, all these red vines or whatever, at the end of it, Mira and Aquaman are sitting on a beach looking out at the dolphins, which they were about to go out and find a dolphin calf for Tom for his birthday, even though Tom didn't exist. And the whole point was, how can they miss something that didn't ever really exist? But if your heart believes it existed, then it, then you'll miss it. So the story was actually really pretty good. I was very impressed with it. Uh, it's, the art was just not great. Avoid it for the art, uh, unless you can find it cheap. Um, the next one I got, this one came out a couple of weeks ago. The DC, The Doomed and The Damned, $10 special, because apparently I'm a sucker for $10 specials. Ouch. Yeah. It's an 80-page giant, 10 twisted team-ups straight for your nightmares. Um, most of these were okay. The first one was like Madam Xanadu and Man Bat. Um, Green Lantern was in this with uh, Etrigen, Wonder, Wonder Woman and Raven, Sullen Grundy and Raz Ghoul, which was a fantastic story. Um, Raz actually went to kind of steal the life force from Solomon Grundy. So on each page, it did Solomon Grundy's rhyme. You know, the... Yeah, born, born on Monday. Monday. Yeah. Died and, on a Tuesday. And the story was matching that as it was going. It was fantastic. Um, There's one with Orphan and Orca, Aquaman and Frankenstein, Beast Boy and Clarion, and Bader and Darkseid. Oh my gosh. If this wasn't 10 bucks, I would tell you you needed to go out and buy it just for that story. Garth Ennis wrote it. I was laughing so incredibly hard at this story. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, for whatever reason, Darkseid is in a bar. And um, one of the guys in the bar comes up and introduces himself and He's like, yeah, Darkseid's like, yeah, great. I don't care. And he made Darkseid says something about like, uh, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, the guy goes, you know, Bader's the demon lord. And Darkseid's like, all right, hell. uh, Yeah, I don't have, I really don't have much to do with those people. And the guy in the bar goes, did you hear that? He said those people. And it turns into this big old racist thing. Uh, and Darkseid's like, no, that's not what I meant at all. And he ends up doing shots against the bartender to try to make everything right. It, it, you would not expect to see Darkseid like this at all. And <laughs> there's one point where his Darkseid's phone goes off. And his minion in 
uh, Apocalypse is standing there. He's like, yeah, we have a problem. And Darkseid's like, what's the problem? I don't care. I'm busy trying to handle something else. And the minion holds up the phone and all these prisoners in Darkseid's prison are yelling drink because they're trying to convince him to do the shots with the bartender. They found out about This is truthfully I mean, I could not stop laughing. To me, it made it worth picking this up. Um, I can see it not being that great for other people, but um, I do like how 10 twisted team-ups, and the only person that did not have a team-up was Batman. It was just Batman and his ego the whole time, I guess. Um, nice. There was nobody else involved in the team-up for Batman's story. It, it, I enjoyed it. I honestly think, it, to me, it was worth the $10, which is the first time I can ever say I spent $10 on a book that... Um, a new book where I enjoyed it like that. Yeah. All right. Finally, um, Aftershock came out with a new book, believe it or not, called Whoa. We Live. Um, th- this is by the Miranda brothers. Um, and uh, Inca Miranda is the one that drew it. This is a absolutely gorgeous book. Very bright, vibrant, beautiful colors. It kind of takes place in the future. Um, this voice speaks out and it drops these or aliens, I guess it would be considered aliens, come down to the planet and they drop off these little... Um, I best way I can think of it is like an arm cannon type thing where that goes over a kid's arm. One kid per family, 500 kids total can put this on and they will be moved to a different location where mankind can survive because mankind's about to be destroyed. And they're allowed to bring one person to protect them on their journey to where they're getting picked up by the mothership. Okay. So the, this old guy is driving this bus where he's kind of going around picking up all these kids and helping transport them to the main city where the mothership's at. And it's a story about this kid who has this on his arm. Um, He wants to become a superhero. Um, The old man's driving the bus through I and just chaos ensues like you would expect in a comic. It gives the backstory of the kid that wants to become a superhero and how his sister's really the one that's watching out for him. I am telling you this needs to be picked up. Uh, last I checked, uh, this just came out Wednesday. Last I checked, these are actually already going for $10. And going on second printings uh, to be re- <coughs> to be released coming up very soon. Um, and one of the coolest things is, is it has a trifold, or it has a uh, fold-in cover. But the when you pull it out, you get the trifold from the back cover, the front page, and then the or the front cover, and then the fold-in. And it's just if you just even look at that, you're going to think, "Wow, 
just amazing. And then you look at the colors inside and you'll be blown away. The storytelling is fantastic. I cannot recommend this book enough. Pick up We Live. And that's what I got. Cool. Um, so I got a mixed bag of weirdness here. So we're gonna we're gonna go through the ones that I liked to the one I like the best. All right. All right. So I, I, don't, I don't have a bad one in the bunch, which is kind of funny because usually I always try to find a bad comic. But this time, the first one, uh, Plastic Man number 20 from 1977. This is written by John Albano with art by Ramona Frandon and Bob Smith. So it's crazy. It's uh, it's plastic, man. How can it not be crazy? So there, it's very Area Fifty One ish. This issue, like, there, Plastic Man and Woozy Winks are driving around a restricted U.S. government facility, and they are at the time they are working for the government as FBOI agents, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the National Bureau, the NBOI. Sorry, the National Bureau of Investigation. So. Not the FBI, but something like that. Who apparently work out of the Pentagon. I don't know. Because they show the Pentagon and the leader's like, what are they doing? They should be court-martialed, right? So it shows, like the first page is Woozy driving the car. With, it's a convertible. And there's a luggage in there that looks just like class. It's red. You've got the yellow stripes with the diamond on it. And it's talking. And he's like, just, you know... Um, just act frightened, Woozy. You know, these guards, they will shoot you. They will shoot you bad. But just tell them you need to turn around. Be like, just apologize and tell them you turn around. And they do. And the funny thing is this this issue is called the Snoopy Snitches. Because they do not leave. So Woozy turns around and he does it so fast that he accidentally, in quotation marks, accidentally launches his suitcase out the back of the convertible which is plas so the, the, the soldiers are like ah he left his bag uh you know just kick it off on the side of the curb you know it's just some it's just a piece of crap and where the guard kicks plas is someplace you never want to kick a dude and <laughs> it even has like plas like is grabbing his groin as a suitcase. So it's not like he's really grabbing his groin, but you can see the, the belt line and his hands are down at the bottom. And it's just, he's just like, Oh, that size 11 boot, you know? And he climbs across this barren landscape across the, the fence and he can't find anything. He's like, well, what the hell? Why would they just put a fence around this barren area? And they have a cutaway of a giant facility underneath the ground. And they, they said that if Plast had x-ray vision, this is what he would see, but of course he doesn't, so he just sees the surface. And so they decide that they're going to go back for another look. But they pull up to this old log cabin, and they're like, I wonder if anybody's in here. I mean, we could, we could use a place to sleep and, you know, use the fireplace or whatever. And... So Plass goes in 
the in the fire, uh, the chimney, right? And he puts his head down, and he comes back up, and Woozy's like, "Hey, what what's going on in there?" And class is like, "Girls, Woozy, two luscious girls." And and Woozy's like, "Hot dog, you know, I'm gonna get some." You know, it's the, it's the '70s, so they knock on the door, and there's this. There's the two girls, and then there's this hippie in the back playing guitar, and the girls have to leave. And Woozy's like, uh, ladies, uh, I am a town scout for the monogram pictures. If you want to, you can uh, give me a call. And they're like, yeah, okay, buddy. See you later. Right? And then the dude's like, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta split for a minute. I'll be right back. And they're like, all right, fine, cool. The guy walks outside, flicks a switch on a tree, and the house is covered with a seamless metal cage. How they knew Plas was going to be there and why they would put a metal cage on this cabin must be Batman planning. You know, <laughs> Batman, he must have known that Plas is going to go right to this cabin. So... <laughs> They decide that it's time to go back again to this place. And they're driving around the, the fenced area and the, the ground starts to crack. And this giant comes out. And he is gigantic. Like Woozy fits in his hand. That's how big this dude is. And Plas is like turning his head into a fist and trying to punch him in the stomach. Instead of just using his fist, he uses his face. It, and then they, 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 they start going into town, and they're still fighting this dude, and there's, like, planes and tanks, and Plas blindfolds him, and he knocks over, and he falls unconscious. And they're like, yeah, of course he falls unconscious because he's, like, an 80-foot dude, and he just hit himself out some concrete, and he knocks himself out. And that's how they defeat this villain is he just knocks himself out because he can't see. And then the government puts out an all like around the world message that says they're looking for Plastic Man and Woozy for trespassing on government property and being a traitor, right? So huge way to end this issue. And this is the final issue of Plastic Man. So they're on the run from the government, and you don't know what happens. Oh. Okay. So we were at that, that con yesterday. Yes. And I found I'm a big fan of Mr. Monster from Michael Gilbert. I love Mr. Monster. And I found an Airboy and Mr. Monster number one. Oh wow this book is so depressing oh my <laughs> god like like it's not a mr monster book it is about an artist who used to be a big name back in the past that he just kind of like started just like you know copying other people's work um, his, his creativity went away. His name is Everett Coleman. 
And so you kind of get this old timey feel from that name, kind of like Bill Everett from uh, Namor or, you know, some of the old guys. Right. And he's in this house and there's this demon with a swastika on his chest. And he's like, you know, just pick up the gun, just pick up the gun and shoot yourself, pick it up. And Mr. Monster is in this house and he's like, you know what? I'll deal with you later. But first I'm going to talk to this dude. Right. And it goes into this huge story about how this guy's dreams are dead. And they're all like packed away in his memories. Like he's just feels washed up and that the only way out of this is just to take his gun, get drunk and shoot himself. And you know, it's very, very cerebral. Like there's a fight between the characters that this dude created, Mr. Monster and like a whole bunch of like, there's a guy named the, the skull, a flat man, the Cyclops and Cyclops is this giant eyeball with demon wings. And, and Airboy shows up because he apparently drew Airboy back in the past. So he does nothing in this book. So why they would put him on the cover makes no reason. There's no reason for Airboy to be on the cover because he doesn't do anything in this. All he does is just stands around and watches, um, uh, Mr. Monster fight all these demons. So it's actually Mr. Monster is fighting Everett Coleman's demons for him, right? So uh, like one of his old characters comes out and grabs Everett's box of for like forgotten dreams and dumps them on the table as he's sitting there drinking. And it's an ink bottle, it's a compass, it's a square and pencils. And he's like, it's been so long. I wonder if I could do this, right? And he finds this old artwork that he used to work on that he just put back on like away that he, he created probably back in the 50s or the 40s and just forgot about. And seeing this brings out the love that he used to have for his art. And this whole time, this little Nazi demon is trying to get him to kill himself. Right. And he keeps seeing that character that he created called the beacon as a beacon of hope to get out of this funk. And Everett takes his gun and he shoots the, the swastika demon. Right. And he's like, you Jew bastard, I'll shove that gun, blah, 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 right? And it just gets this feeling like, you know, like just absolute hatred for this demon hates this dude so bad, right? And, and in comes, like, he's just about ready to just kill himself, right? He says he's going back and forth, like, okay, I have hope now, but... This other part of me is telling me that I don't have hope and I'm just, I should just end it. And in comes the door comes that character that he created called the beacon. And he's just this shining light, right? Like angelic. He's got a giant sword and he 
he pretty much like wipes everything away, right? And they all they all get to good go on the his demons, and the guy's like, okay, you know, I want to live. You know, God, it's great to be alive, right? And he's like, oh my God. And it's just about one of the most depressing books I've read in a long time. Because I think as a creator of a lot of things, you get that way. You're like, oh my God, my stuff sucks. What am I doing this for? And it kind of like hits home a little bit because you put a lot of work into something and it's not appreciated or mm-hmm. something like that. And you kind of get that feeling like, you know, what am I doing this for? Is this just a waste of time? Yeah. And he kind of, kind of like embodies that, that the whole issue is kind of like the struggle of being an artist. Like, is my stuff good enough? People say it sucks. People say it's great. I don't know. Um, and it's just, you have to do what you like. And I think that's pretty much what that issue was about. And it sure ain't about Airboy, I'll tell you that. You know, you are saying that, talking about that, and it kind of reminded me of, um, I can't remember which turtle it was, but you had that turtle one shot where. Oh, yeah, the Donatello? Went, yeah. Yeah. And you started talking about it, I'm like, that sounds very similar to that. I mean, obviously a little bit different, but it did sound a little bit like it had some similarities to it as well. Yeah. Now, how recent is that book? Oh, man. Uh, this is Eclipse Comics, so probably 87. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's got a great cover of a guy putting a gun in his mouth. Ooh, fun. Yeah, it's got Airboy and Valkyrie back in the back and Cap- uh, Mr. Monster coming to a guy that's just about to put a 38 in his mouth. Huh. So maybe Airboy was selling at the time when they just used it as yeah, probably. a promotional tool. All right. So my third one I also picked up yesterday. It's Mystery Quarterly number three or number two from 1990. I wasn't a huge Mystery fan back in the day. And I think it was because it was just so not my cup of tea. It wasn't superheroes back in that time. Right. And dude, this is so good. It's not even funny. It's, it's 80 pages. It's by Max Collins and Terry Beatty. And so, yeah, like I said, it's from 1990 and it is totally 1990, but it's a good 1990. So it starts out that, there's a group of Satanists and they're, they're having a ritual and there's a girl there that's going to be their offering. And, you know, it just looks like they're going to have sex with her crazy, weird, satanic sex. And three months later, her parents come to hire um, Miss tree. Her name is Michael tree which I think is funny because I always thought that the first woman named Michael that I ever saw was on Star Trek Discovery, but apparently the first woman named Michael for me was Miss Tree. And her parents were like, you know, we, we wanted you to find our daughter some years ago and you said you wouldn't do it. But 
we're back and we want your help, right? They found our daughter's 18 now, so she, she doesn't have to come home, but we just want you to find her. But they're lying to her. They don't want her to find her. They want them to her to find her killer because they have a picture of her completely naked with a pentagram in lipstick on her stomach. And they're like, we want you to find her. We know you're, we know what you do. And sometimes you go a little bit overboard and we want you to go overboard on this and we want to kill all of them. So how much is this going to cost? And she says, uh, she's got this disgusted look on her face. She's like, there won't be any charge. She'll do it for free. So she goes to this small town of Bloomington and everybody is a suspect in this place. There's a weird satanic cult, like a church that's open there. There's um, some just random dabblers. There's a police detective who's kind of shady, but knows all the stuff about, you know, not paranormal crimes, but like cult crimes. Right. So he's very forthcoming with information. And then it goes into like, Actual stuff about like Son of Sam and the Night Stalker Ramirez and Manson about how, you know, these guys all used like the cult to do their crimes, right? Like, like they, some of them will believe they were Satanists and they would talk to Satan and all this other crap. And one guy's like, uh, no, it's, it's actually kids listening to heavy metal and playing role-playing games. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, so 90s uh, so 90s that you know the town all gets together they're all a bunch of like uh, I want to say it's like the town from Elvira the Mistress of the Dark movie when she goes to Salem and everybody's goody goody until she gets there well this is that town right so there's a little bit of a dark undertone to this that there might be a serial killer going around killing women in the woods. And then she meets like this other guy that this uh, park ranger tells her to go to. And he owns like a whole bunch of like laundries and stuff, but he's also the morality leader of the town. And Oh my God. It, it's crazy. It's long and it's really good. And they, they, yeah, they do get attacked by some kids dressed like Metal Gear. And it's pretty good. You got to check it out. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's a good book. I'm not going to yeah, go into what happens. Like it would be really good. Um, okay. My last one, which is taking me forever to read this series, but Fright Night number eight from, <laughs> um, what year is this? This is, a. Uh, Oh, come on. Probably 89. Yeah, it's got to be. Yep, 89. Oh, right. (laughs) And if you ever watch Fright Night, you know the character of Evil Ed. And Evil Ed is one of my favorite cinematic characters ever. Like, he's just such a... Kind of a little prick. Like, he... He gets bitten by Jerry Dandridge and becomes a vampire and uh, Peter 
Vincent the Vampire Killer, like, supposedly kills him, right? But you hear at the end of the movie, you're so cool, Brewster, right? And so you know evil's not dead. And this issue starts out with Charlie and this chick, and they're at a club, and they're dancing. And they're dancing for quite a while. I mean, it's like one, two, three, four, five, five and a half pages of them getting to know each other and kind of starting to fall in love dancing at a club. And they dance so long that they don't realize that everybody's gone. The only person left is the DJ and, and they're like, uh, guess we got caught in the music and they're starting to walk out and you hear, you're so cool, Brewster. And Charlie like turns around and the DJ is gone. And he's like, Ed, you know, he doesn't because Ed hasn't been alive. You know, he doesn't think that Ed's alive because he thinks that Peter killed him. And so they run. He takes his date. This girl that he's just fallen for takes her to Peter Vincent's house. And they start talking about how evil's alive. Like, uh, Charlie, have you been drinking? No, Peter, evil Ed. Ed's alive. I don't know how this happened. And Peter's like, well, yeah, but he's dead. And the girl's like, what's going on? Oh, sorry. This this is Peter Vincent. Uh, Peter, this is Natalie. And it was Ed. It was Ed. Uh, nonsense, Charlie. I killed him. And then she, he admits to killing a kid in front of a girl that he does not know. <laughs> and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. What? <laughs> right? And, and Peter's like, let me explain a little bit. And... She's like, okay, you dragged me out to a club where someone just said, and then you dragged me out of a club to an apartment of somewhere some guy just said that he killed Ed, and you just want to take me home. Like, it's no big deal, right? You're just going to take me home, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you guys are weird, right? So it goes back to the club, and there's people cleaning up, and they get, like, weird, like, drool dripped on them. And this giant bat comes down and starts to attack them all. And apparently this bat doesn't like mops because he gets hit with a mop and just disappears. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes back to uh, Peter's apartment and they're all sitting around the table and they're telling the story of the movie of how, Larry Dandridge or yeah, Larry Dandridge moved next to Charlie's house and you know, they found out he was a vampire and they went in there and killed him and what happened to uh, what I cannot remember his girlfriend's name. I've seen this movie like 80 times. <laughs> I can't help I cannot, you. I've never seen it. I, I can't remember Amanda Burse's name, but um, then they go through like you know some of the adventures that they've been through with the brain bat aliens that we talked about before and the squid men, and and they bring up you know that she's like who who was a vampire Dandridge right 
Um, she doesn't seem very taken aback that they're talking about vampires. And she's like, well, my father was killed by a vampire in France. And they're like, what? And they're like, you can believe, you believe us? And she's like, oh yeah, you know, she tells the story about how her dad was killed. And, and they're like, oh my God, we finally have somebody else to talk to. And she's like, now I can talk to somebody that won't look at me like I'm crazy. And it goes, so they finally convince Peter that they need to go to the club and convent, uh, confront evil. And it shoots back to the club and the giant green bat thing that got hit by a mop is actually evil. And he calls down like three other kids, like maybe two other kids that he's turned and they hunt the cleaning crew. And <laughs> um, so this is, this is where this book goes very 89 or 90. So the three, Peter, Natalie, and Charlie, decide to go to the club, but they can't find a way in. So they break in, right? And as soon as they do that, a vampire jumps down, pulls out a camera, takes a picture, and then disappears. What? And then the cops show up. They arrest them all for breaking and entering. And one of them, one of them says, listen, I don't care if you're Roddy McDowell. Save it. Right? So a little joke because Peter is played by Roddy McDowell. And so they cut to the next morning. And this girl brings a paper into evil. And on the cover... <laughs> Oh my God. It says Fright Night host arrested for breaking into gay club with young man. And that's how it ends. That's, oh, that's, Lord. that is evil's revenge. Is <laughs> <laughs> just making the public think that Charlie and Peter are gay. <laughs> and he's just laughing. Oh, why it's so funny. But yeah. <laughs> that that's Fright Night and oh and uh, in other news talking about Fright Night somebody else created a book that came out a little while ago it was I think you can only get it on the internet it's called uh, Tom Holland's Fright Night the Peter Vincent Chronicles and it looks like it only came out exclusively online like I found it on the dailydead.com and if you just look up Fright Night comic, it'll it'll pop up. Um, yeah, I don't know. It seems okay, but the art for me is not, you know, doing it for me. Not stellar. No. But you know, what can you do? Other than do it yourself, but I don't have that skill. All right. That's all I got. All right. Well, you had some good stuff this week. Not that you don't normally, but a wide range. <laughs> yeah, very wide range. It was weird. All right. That takes us on over to the list.
This is it. We finally hit the letter Z. We'll Thank be God. done with this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll go ahead and go first since you uh, just talked a lot there. Like you have a moment of to catch your breath. <laughs> uh, all right, so ten. It's a Gamora, Green Lantern character. Nine, Zale, Green Lantern character. Eight, Zorel. Seven, Zod. Six, Zodiac. Five, Zorel. Four, Zor. I'm probably pronouncing this in the wrong word. Z i r r a l Zorel. Um, three Zelda, two Zoom, as in Professor Zoom, one Zantana. Nice. Um, so Scott brought up Zorro, and I was thinking about Zorro, but they did a book in the in the late '80s or '90s with Lady Rawhide and stuff like that. I was like, oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> but um okay so number 10 zan the wonder twin number nice. number nine zabu the tiger from the the only good part from kazar uh <laughs> other, other than shanna okay uh number eight zorana the dreadnought from gi nice. joe yeah i forgot about her number eight uh, zero G from Power Pack, or number seven Zero G from Power Pack. Uh, number six. Every time these guys would appear in some kind of Marvel book, I would buy it. It's a group called the Zodiac. Had to do it because I love them. Um, number five Zoriel, the angel from DC. Yep. Uh, four Zombie uh, Z- Simon Garth from Marvel. Um, number three Zartan. Two Zatanna, and number one Zarathos. Wow. All different. I can't believe it. All right. <clears throat> Speaking of the Joes, I thought about this last week. I forgot to bring it up. I want your thoughts on this. So, back in the 80s when Marvel had the rights to the Transformers and G.I. Joe, okay? There was a crossover between G.I. Joe and the Transformers. Four issue mini, correct? Yes. In issue four of the Transformers series, Spider-Man shows up in his black costume. Uh Therefore, by that logic, G.I. Joe, (laughs) at that point, should have been involved with the Marvel Universe in more of a capacity, right? Right. Yeah, um, they never showed up once. <laughs> the thing is that when they were creating the G.I. Joes, that it was actually supposed to be S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. So I think they wanted it separate because once Hasbro was like, hey, we got this property and we want you to do a Comic-Con, that Marvel was probably like, yeah, we'll just keep this separate. Which is weird for Marvel because every other thing, they put them all together. Right. Like, Rom. Rom was everywhere. 
And uh, just, yeah, I think maybe they learned not to do that with rum when they lost it. You know, don't don't mix your universes that you might not have the rights to in a couple of years. Yeah. So that might be why. Well, maybe I. I was just like, wait, why didn't they ever show up to help fight the bad guy? <laughs> just right. <laughs> yeah, just leave it up to Spike and his dad. Yeah. Jeez. Uh. <sighs> um. Other thing, uh, as far as news, so I picked up Batman One Hundred One. I don't want to cover it. But I will tell you this, massive changes are taking place in the Batman universe. Well worth checking out. Really? I just saw an, I saw an article about it, I, and I wanted to point it out real quick. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I had... Maybe that was all I had. But yeah, huge, huge changes in the Marvel universe, or in Batman's universe. Um, Going to be some really big goings on. Now, does that mean I'm going to continue to read it? I doubt it. I saw a screenshot of one panel that they made it sound like something huge was happening. And that was the one thing that didn't surprise me as much as the rest of the book did. So certainly check that out. 101? 101. Yep. It uh, on the cover it has um, Griffin. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Huh. Alright. We'll check it out. Yeah. That's really, the, really good. After the ashes of the Joker War. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the Joker basically got through to Batman and Batman realized, yeah, he's got to make some changes and some of them are being forced upon him. And some of them are a, something he wants to do himself. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Hey, I have a suggestion for next week for the comic that we do. Yes. Uh, Suicide squad. Number 10. Okay. All right. Do you know what it's about? Nope. All right. So uh, let's let's go over the little brief synopsis of it. The world knows Ted Cord as Blue Beetle, superhero, but the members of Task Force X know him as something else entirely. The violent and vindictive puppet master who rigged them to blow. With Deadshot murdered and Cord finally at their mercy, will the Suicide Squad get their revenge once and for all? Hmm. And it's got a picture of him in the Blue Beetle suit on the cover. All right. So I want to see what they do. Uh, and I don't know. If, if he actually put things in their heads to blow off their heads, goes completely against Ted Cord because he got his face shot off. I don't know. I bet it's not him. I bet it's uh, Maxwell Lord controlling him. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. This is my like uh, prediction for that issue, because it's going to be Maxwell Lord. 
No, I could easily see that. All right. Um, well, do you have any other news? I'm going to bring Scott in. I don't have any news, but I'm going to bring Scott. Hey, Scott. All right. Testing. Hey, Scott. Anyone hear me? Oh, yeah. Hey, Scott. Hey, Scott. Oh, I apologize for that. Hearing me That's is cool. a terrible thing. <laughs> Hi guys, uh, enjoying the show as always, and um, I'm going to be uh, a little brief because uh, there are a couple of things I wanted to show you. Uh, my webcomic of the week is a, a goofy little series. Um, it's a gag a day comic, uh, but not every day. Uh, it's called The Little Trash Maid. By and I have no idea how to pronounce this. S zero S two. It's a silent comic about a mermaid in a very polluted ocean. It is adorable. It is hilarious. It's on, uh, and I put a few screenshots and uh, a few links up on the Discord channel. It's on Tapas, it's on Webtoons, it's... Most of the comic strips are on Instagram, but not all of them. Uh, there's a Twitter, uh, most of them are on Discord. There's a Twitter, I didn't check that one out, so they might all be there. But uh, there are options, so you can use your favorite platform to find it. And this is a, a webcomic that's picking up a lot of speed. Um, it's developing, it's been around a little over a year. It's developing a, uh, following quickly. Yeah. It, it's, it's really funny that she's wearing a seven 11 t-shirt, which is just a bag that she's worn <laughs> as a shirt and she finds a shirt and she uses it as a bag. I thought that was funny. Yes. All right. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, because I've got a random read, and it's that uh, issue of Conan that I mentioned a little bit earlier. And um, when I say uh, a little bit earlier, I mean you have to scroll up in the Discord channel a little to see it. But yeah, this is uh, issue 74 from back in... 1982, and I have to mention this because it is so weird uh, what I stumbled upon here. There is a uh, story in here. It's a black and white, a little over 40 pages by Chris Claremont. It's called The Lady in the Snows, and I'm going to uh, post a few screenshots here for you that I took a that are terrible quality because I took them with my cell phone camera. And I'm just going to read this dialogue as I post these quickly as I can. Uh, Conan is uh, reminiscing about uh, his days back in the hills of Samaria with um, a, uh, when he was a teenager with his uh, village friend Shard and he's thinking to himself 
Shard was always too sure of himself for his own good. He thought he was the best. Hunter, warrior, lover. And resented me for being better. It was a small step from resentment to hatred. And my saving his life shamed him more than he could bear. I should have seen the signs, but he was my friend. So I'm reading this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, is... Is this a hint that uh, Conan had a... Um, relationship with this other boy and then then i stop myself and i think no 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 i'm seeing this with year 2020 eyes not 2020 vision this is um I, i'm seeing something that's pr that's probably not there then on the next page there's this panel that i'm posting right now Read along with me here. So Conan, he's in this inn. He finds a woman in his room. She's a prostitute that's been sent to him. And, oh, I posted the wrong one. Uh, there she is. And this is the dialogue that she reads, that she says to him. Your furs were more more than provided for the best we have to offer, that includes a companion. If I am not pleasing, my lord, or if you do not prefer the company of women, other arrangements can be made. So we, here we have <laughs> here we have a character who, in the story, who is questioning Conan's sexual preference. A page later, I turn the page... <laughs> And I read this. I love the company of women, Jarissa. And after a summer in the Halvara reaches at the top of the world, even a toothless wizened hag would be a welcome sight. Shall I summon one, my lord? Oh my now, that's God, a pretty that's good <laughs> That's a pretty good joke, but that's the third hint in as many pages of <laughs> something going on here. <laughs> I'm calling it. Um, Conan is pansexual. <laughs> and it is Marvel Comics canon. <laughs> Written by Claremont himself. Who, let's not forget, Claremont is the guy who uh, later on would have a lesbian marriage hidden in the pages of X-Men for years and nobody saw it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I believe he might do this. <laughs> I would even go so far as to believe that even though this book had three editors, that uh, including Jim Shooter, that uh, <laughs> they probably didn't notice. <laughs> Either that or Jim Shooter was in on it the whole time. <laughs> so, so I, you guys, you know the industry more than I do. Um, you, you tell me, am I seeing something that here that's not really there? No. I'm naturally I a skeptic, think, so you tell actually, me if I'm wrong. I think you're actually seeing it. 
it was they did a lot of <laughs> stuff like that with like North Star back in the day. So yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. <laughs> yeah. When did North Star come out of the closet? Do uh, we know? Like, like Alpha Flight One Twenty, if I remember right. Okay. So yeah, like uh, John Byrne was like, I wanted to make a gay character, so he was originally gay through the entire thing. So there was oh, little hints from the beginning. The whole, okay. Yeah. All right. So that might have that might have actually predated this issue of Conan. All right. I was thinking that North Star didn't go back all the way to 1982, but he probably did. All right, all right. Uh, hold on. Okay. You you checking? Yep. I'm holding on. Uh, just a second here. <laughs> There's a lot of dates appearing here, so I'm going to try to make sure that's the. Yeah. Right one. What issue did you think, Nick? Like one twenty, something like that. Back in '92, Marvel Comics made headlines by revealing the North Star of a Canadian superhero, and X Men was gay. So, so, doesn't give the issue number, but it does say that it was in '92 when they announced or when he came out as gay. So this could predate it. Yeah, it. it <laughs> Further research is it required. Understood. Right. <laughs> okay. It predates 120, but if John Byrne is saying that North Star was always gay, then uh. Maybe North Star uh, appeared first. So, hmm. More research is needed. Yeah. Yep. Understood. All right. Thank you for humoring me. I appreciate that. Cool. Good stuff, Scott. All right. We got anything else? Nope. I'm good. Okay, well, me too. Once again, thanks for listening, Scott. Thanks, thanks Scott. for jumping on. And uh, happy new we'll week! Be back at you next week. Yeah, you too. Bye. All right, we'll be back at you next week. See you guys. Cool. See ya. Bye. Bye.